Welcome back to Social Soul Podcast. I'm Haley. And my name is Jess. And today's guest, her name is Sarah Kate. She's the founding editor and publisher of Some Good Clean Fun, a lifestyle platform for women about mindful drinking and the sober curious lifestyle. She's Canada's leading expert on non-alcoholic drinks, a mom of two, and an advocate for rethinking drinking. She's determined to change the conversation about women, wine, and health. So welcome, Sarah Kate. We're excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to be here. And I believe you're tuning into us from Canada, right? That's right. I am in um, sunny Toronto. It's really, really nice weather here today. <laughs> I was going to ask you what part of Canada too. So that's, that's awesome. Um, I mean, Canada is like everyone wishes they were in Canada right now who's living in the U.S. So <laughs> well, we're happy we have, to have you here. <laughs> we, we have a lot of compassion for what's going on in south of the border. Um, you know, so my heart goes out to everyone who's struggling right now. Yeah, definitely. We did hear that you quit drinking during the pandemic, and that's something that we really wanted to talk to you about. Um, Haley's talked like with people about that very often. That's like something that's very intriguing to her for sure. So um, yeah, I mean, that's a time where people were choosing to drink rather than choosing to get rid of drinking in their <laughs> lifestyle. So we kind of just want to talk to you about that. Haley, do you have a specific question that you wanted to start it off with or – yeah, I mean, I think like so many people were drinking during the pandemic, like working from home, there was just like more reasons to drink as people would say. So I'm really curious, like why you chose to quit drinking at the time that you did, and then what resources you actually utilized when it came to rethinking drinking? Yeah, so I all it's what was really interesting is that I actually had already wanted to stop. So I was in I was what I call a gray area drinker. So I was not, um, you know, I didn't need complete recovery. I didn't need, you know, I wasn't I didn't need an extreme intervention. Um, I wouldn't even have even considered myself an alcoholic. And but I, I wasn't able to moderate enough and things were getting going downhill already, like be, before the pandemic even started. And um, I had I had felt just like really awful about myself and somebody had reached out to me and said, you should read this naked mind. I don't even remember how I found out about it. So everybody who, you know, if, if, no, if people haven't heard of this naked mind, it literally is now the Bible of like, you know, quitting drinking in, you know, the 2020s. Um, it is such a great book. And so I had started reading it and the first chapter was like, you don't need to stop drinking wine or put, you don't need to put down your wine to read this book, but by the end of it, you're going to want to. So she, so at the beginning of the book, she says right off the the front the front page, like you don't have to stop drinking right this second, and that's just like a welcoming embrace for somebody who's like, yeah, I, you know, hesitant. I still want to have my glass of wine once in a while, and she was right. By the end of the book, I actually didn't want to drink anymore, and that coincided with the beginning of the pandemic. So my very first like 30 day challenge was April sixth, and I had planned to do this starting at the beginning of March. So when the pandemic hit and I was at home with my kids for March break and then another two weeks because they couldn't go back to school, I was like, okay, this is pretty tough. And I, I saw everybody around me like drinking happily and I had, I, I imbibed a little bit at the beginning of the very first week or two of the pandemic because I hadn't hit my like, okay, this is my 30 days alcohol free yet. Um, but I was kind of looking at it at arm's length, like knowing I was going into this 30 day during the 30 day, like it, that was really hard. It was really hard from April 6th to May 6th. 
I don't think I even made it the month. I think I had one glass of wine on my friend's porch, like on the 30th of April. Cause I was like, ah, so I can't truly say like, I never drank again, but it was hard because I was looking, my network is all moms. And I was watching all of my, the people in my network lean on their bar carts all day long. Like it was so, and I had had my eyes open so wide by Annie Grace and by all the other books that I had started reading, I was like, I wanted to scream at everybody on social media, like, no, this is the wrong thing to do. It's going to make the pandemic worse for you because you're going to be anxious and depressed and feeling even worse. And it was really difficult because I wasn't quite over the hump yet. And I felt like, um, you know, I, it was very hard to ignore this voice in my head. Everybody else is drinking come on, just have one. Like everybody else, this is a, the worst time in the world. This is the worst time in living history for most people. You know, like the worst, uh, globally, one of the worst things that has happened in, in 50 years and everybody's drinking. Everybody in the world is drinking. And so part of me was like, oh no, I can't. I'm so sad. I can't drink. <laughs> but on the other hand, nobody was going anywhere. Nobody, nothing was open. There were no like, hey, let's get together for a drink on Friday nights. There was no family get togethers. There was nothing. So that was my saving grace that there wasn't even the outdoors. It was easier even with outdoor porch parties and things like that. When they started happening, it was a lot easier to not drink because people had their mittens on holding their beer, you know, and it's, it was different. It wasn't as like, it wasn't like summer. Summer was hard too, but, um, you know, so I think that was how I was already ready to go when the pandemic hit, my mindset was already in the place that needed, it needed to be. And I think that that's really, really key for anybody who is in any place on the spectrum of, of alcohol, like whether you have one drink a week and you're like, I don't feel comfortable with that. I don't want to do it anymore. Or you're, you know, you really need help. It's really under getting your mindset in the right place, getting understanding why alcohol is doing what it is to your to your mind, and also turning around. You realize the blame is not on you. You realize that the blame it's the substance that's doing it to you, and not yourself. So when the pandemic hit, I was already in that really great place. Like, oh, it's not my fault. Yes, I can blame something else. <laughs> right. I love that you started off like prepared having read that book. And I'm actually, that book by Annie Grace, This Naked Mind, again, is absolutely incredible. And I love that she goes into it with like, you don't have to quit drinking, but then she gives you all of this evidence and uh, stuff to yeah. support why alcohol is affecting you negatively and why you might be questioning your relationship with alcohol. But that does lead me to a follow-up question because you mentioned like not having all of like the parties and the get-togethers and like things like that. Do you feel like that made it easier for you with quitting drinking? And then also as we integrate back into like normal kind of life, have you noticed it being more of a challenge for you since you quit drinking during the pandemic? Yeah, a little, like it hasn't really been too challenging because there was a big enough time. There was a long enough time for me to like get my head straight and get my habits. So one thing that I've learned, I, I read another book, you asked me about the resources and I forgot to touch on that. But one of the other books I read is not related to drinking whatsoever. It's called um, The Power of Habit. And it's Charles Duhigg, I think is the author. Such and a good book, yeah. Such a good book because it really helped me understand neuroplasticity 
and how your brain, A, it takes time to heal, but also how deep, how deeply embedded things are. And I'm just going to give this little example for people who haven't read the book, but there's a man who has completely lost, he has complete amnesia. He has complete, complete amnesia and he needs constant care and he has to have his hand held constantly. He has to be monitored constantly because if he walks out the door, he could die because he doesn't know where to go. He, he could, he, so, so every day he would walk with his handler around his neighborhood in the same route every single day with his handler. And one day his wife went into the other room and realized he had left the house and she was panicking and so frightened because she thought this guy was never going to find his way back to his house. But he, even with amnesia, he found his way back home. He went around the same route that he goes every single day. Even with complete amnesia, and I'm talking amnesia where like you forget what happened a second ago, he had no way of laying memory in his in his mind, and um, the that hit home with me so hard because I was like, wow, our messaging, the messaging that we receive about alcohol, it is embedded so deeply in our minds from when we're children that it takes it takes time, like it's going to take time, and that's where rethinking drinking was born, because I realized that. You could try and muscle your, muscle your way through quitting if you really don't want to drink, but you're not dealing with the deeper the deeper things, which is how deeply embedded the messaging is in your in your brain. Um, so yeah, so getting back to the your original question was, it it was about probably a year here in Canada before even longer. Like there was a little bit of a window of socializing, and I slipped. I went out for an anniversary dinner with my husband and had a glass of wine, and then I got together with a girlfriend who was my drinking friend thinking I could get through that. And I didn't, she, she was, she, she was pressuring me a little bit and I shouldn't have let her, but then we went into lockdown again. So by the time we came back out of like final, the final kind of lockdown, I had already cut ties with that person. <laughs> Cause I was like, I don't want to, I don't want her in my life anymore. She's a bad influence. And I just restarted life as a different person. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't go to the party like as a drunk Sarah I went to the the I went to the get together as the strong, socially conscious woman who is who made health her priority. Yeah, it sounds like you did the pandemic the right way. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I, I don't mean to brag, but I feel like it's like fifty fifty. You know, you like hear about the people who are like, oh, okay, like you know, the world's shutting down for basically you know two years. I'm going to use this time to really focus on me, focus on my health, focus on all of those things that I didn't have time to focus on when I was so busy with all the other life stuff and come out of this better. But then we know that the other half of the people were the ones that were leading towards the alcohol and Mm -hmm. like, you know, partying at home by themselves as much as they possibly could to just like, I don't know, get through the pain of the pandemic, which, you know, like no fault to them. That's how our society deals with things. But (laughs) I think it's awesome that you, you you know, took it that way and did that for yourself. I I think is great. I had, I actually had like other moms that would be like, what? When I say this, I've heard them. They're like, you're crazy. But I actually loved the pandemic, (laughs) like with my kids, like my husband blocked himself in our bedroom and worked from his bed for like three months and then moved down to the basement and worked in a tiny little office space in the basement for the rest of the year and three quarters. So it was me up to me, right. To do the schooling and all that kind of stuff. But that first like six months of the pandemic, my kids and I went on hikes. 
we walked around, we rode our bikes together, like we walked the dog, we baked, we did. And because I wasn't drinking, I was literally like grateful, full of gratitude for every single moment because I hadn't had the chance to spend that time with them mm-hmm. ever before. And then all of a sudden they're like, mommy, what do you want to do? And I'm like, let's bake cookies. <laughs> you know, the things yeah. that we never got to do before. So I actually am truly I know that the pandemic was a horrible time for a lot of people. I was really lucky that I had a family. I had a roof over my head. I wasn't alone. So I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have to sit alone and wonder what to do with myself. Um, So I'm truly grateful for that. I'm grateful for the time that the the extra, you know, added time that I got to spend. So yeah, I, I think I came out of the pandemic better than some people just because I had made those choices. And I can relate to that a lot because like pre pandemic, I was diagnosed with a chronic illness and I basically was thrown into my own pandemic that nobody else knew about, you know, wasn't able to leave the house and do all of the things that I had been doing before and Mm -hmm. had to focus on my health and focus on getting better. And I was really shut off from the world for a long time. And I hated it because everybody else around me was still living life and doing all the things and I wasn't able to. And then the pandemic hit and I was honestly excited because I'm like, the world is finally slowing down to my level. Like, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> I didn't have to, like, feel the FOMO of everyone going out without me and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, this is a dream. And then, but I remembered how hard it was the first time I went through something like that. And so I'm like, I know how this can mess with you emotionally, mentally, physically, in all of those aspects. So I definitely felt for everybody, but I was personally so thankful that I already had the skills of like, okay, I'm not going to get angry about this. I'm going to use this time to my advantage and I'm going to get better. I'm going to start living life better. That's so great. That's so great. And I love that you mentioned gratitude because I really do feel like giving up alcohol creates so many small moments of gratitude. And that's something that I've noticed in my own life, like just these little moments that I'm like, wow, I am so grateful to be here, to be sober for this and all of that. Um, I wanted to circle back actually, cause I totally brain farted on what I was going to ask you earlier, but you had mentioned that somebody recommended that you read this naked mind by Annie Grace. And I'm actually very curious how that kind of came to be, because I think that sometimes there are people who maybe somebody in their life is struggling with alcohol and they want to recommend something to kind of help them with it, but they also don't want to like push that on somebody. So I'm, I'm curious, like how that recommendation came into your life and how they went about that. Yeah, actually, as I, as I was saying it, I was remembering how I, um, how I heard about it. So this is a funny story. So, and Haley, you probably understand this, that when you are a drinker and you drink every day, no matter how, whether you're like a bottle a day or half a bottle a day, or, you know, if you consider yourself you know, you have a problem, you're not comfortable with how much alcohol is in your life, you know exactly how many drinks you're having every day, right? Like, you know, you had 17. I've never had 17. But like, you know, you've had seven drinks or whatever. So I downloaded this app thinking called drinks counter, thinking it was going to help me. It helps you count your drinks. And it's like, you don't need an app to count your drinks, because you know, you know, it's like you used to put those tallies on your arms at parties when you were younger. (laughs) 
No, I never did that. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's hilarious. I never thought of that. That's so smart. I think um, it was like more bragging rights of like how yeah, many. Yeah, it wasn't oh. to yourself down. <laughs> oh, shoot. I was like, oh, that's good. Just keep your keep track so you're not drinking yeah. too much. I can tell my daughter to do that to keep track of how much she's drinking. <laughs> um, so um, I had downloaded this app called drinks counter thinking it was going to keep me accountable but what was really good about it is that they connect you with a community in a chat room and so there was about eight people in this chat room and they we all ranged one of them was you know one of the women I felt really sorry for she was a nurse and she was drinking on the job and I was like oh my god like bad and I was frustrated I made a comment like I feel so like well, I'm so angry about that at my husband so I had a glass of wine or something like I was, and, and this guy, this guy chimed in and he was like, well, why do you feel that way? And I was like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he, he said, he had said earlier that he hadn't had anything to drink in 30 days. And we were all like, how did you do that? And then I was like, I'm so mad at my husband. How can you control that? Like, I need to have a glass of wine or whatever. And he's like, well, I read this naked mind and Sarah, you should try this naked mind. It's been game changer. So I was like, boom, like the next day, I literally downloaded the ebook and started reading it. Wow, that's awesome. And then so I I just want to circle back, though, to this idea of like, how do you help someone a really close friend of mine? Her sister is in a really bad, bad situation. So her sister lives in the UK. And she had already had a bit of a drinking problem. um, When she went, she was kind of a gray area drinker when she went over over to the UK, married somebody there who's like somewhat you know, not, not a good catch. Let's just say has two kids, not working, stay at home. Mom, husband works in the city and like is gone most of the day. And she has a serious problem now. And my, my friend, my close friend has been really trying to help her. And, you know, she and I go back and forth on text a lot and it's really hard because they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear, um, that there's something wrong with them. And so I've been using some of the, the, my, this naked mind stuff. Um, some of the things I've learned even in one HD, like some of that language to help her rather than, you know, blame her or blame her sister to help her, my friend understand that it's not her sister. It's the, it's the, the alcohol that's doing it. So, um, I think that that's, it's really a tricky situation. It's not resolved and it probably won't be for a long time, but, um, it's, and anybody, anybody in that situation that's listening to this that might want to help somebody close to them, um, I think the best thing to do is to really have empathy for the person that's going through it and understand that it's a substance that's a class one carcinogen and an addictive substance. And it's, you're, they're, you know, they're addicted to it because it's an addictive substance, not because they have a problem. Yeah. And it's also something that is socially encouraged And you kind of talked about like the messaging behind alcohol and the way that we think about it. And like my husband pissed me off, so I need a drink, like these kinds of things that we believe and things that we've grown up believing. Um, And I know it's really important to actually reframe this mindset and like unlearn a lot of this stuff when you're giving up alcohol. It's something that I had to do. But I want to kind of circle around to mommy wine culture And what that actually is and kind of some of like the messages that you would consider mommy wine culture. Um, Because I actually I had never heard about this until I quit drinking. And I'm also not a mom, so I don't necessarily see it. But I do think it's something that's really important to talk about. So if you could just maybe share with our listeners like 
what that even means and yeah yeah, the impact of it yeah so mommy wine culture is really the normalization of the message that um, women uh, moms in particular need and require wine to parent to be a mom that the role of mom requires wine and this I I mean if you look back in history my, my mom's generation did not have this mommy wine culture, um, you know, in the 50s and 60s, that was a different story. But, you know, I don't remember my mom growing up and drinking, drinking wine or even the seeing messaging around, right? So it's very much a product of my, of like Gen Z, oh, sorry, not Gen Z, Gen X, my, my generation. Um, you know, it started, I always think it kind of started with Sex in the City and moved, you know, moved on from there. So when, when we're watching Sex in the City in our 20s, you know, yay, party time, then you go home, you, or you, you go get married and you have, have kids and all of a sudden you're stuck at home and you still have that sex in the city mindset, like, you know, out of the young girl out in the town. And so you're, you're turning to a way to cope, the sexy way to cope at home. Um, and so it's the normalization that, that women actually require something to dull their senses because parenting is hard. Yes, parenting is hard. But the wrong message, so women have, have learned that we have to, uh, moms have learned that we need to cope and that other moms, it's okay, it's permissive. It's a very permissive culture of like, you're a mom, oh, have your wine. So mm-hmm. now it's a bit cliche now. It's not as, it, you know, mommy wine culture is getting a bit old, I think. I've seen a bunch of articles about how it's like getting dated now. But where I see it as being very subversive and not in your face anymore is in entertainment. And, you know, it, there are some very overtly like drunk moms, you know, that movie, those are very like overtly like mommy wine culture for centric, but in every movie you turn on, you will see a woman, a mother exhausted and grabbing a glass of wine. And those are subliminal messages that are being sent to moms that this is your role that you need an addictive or normalizing having an addictive substance because your life is so tough and parenting is really hard. It really is. You don't need anything to make it harder. And when you realize that alcohol makes it harder after you stopped it, it's like, Oh my God, you know, why was I doing this to myself? And then the next step from there, which is another whole other conversation is just systemically how women, the system has failed women. It's not women's fault that they, that the mommy wine culture has arisen. It's because the system failed women and they're looking for a way, an easy way to cope with the system failing them. And so that's kind of, that's kind of it in a nutshell. And it's, um, it's toxic. And if you've ever waited in line at TJ Maxx or Marshall's or any of these stores that, you know, in the, the checkout, they've all, they've got all those cups there and they're all like, you know, wine o'clock, you know, mom's real coffee coffee this is coffee wink wink like you know yeah Gosh, <laughs> we're laughing I think, about, <laughs> I think about like onesies that say like mom or dad's drinking partner oh, or yeah. like it's not drinking yeah. alone if you're like with your kid with your or like so yeah. can you imagine though that the impact and Haley you probably know a little bit about this too but you know talking to people in our networks that ha- are adults children of alcoholics and the impact that that had on them. Can you imagine kids growing up now that have seen this message on their mom's t-shirts and in, in stores that their mom hates being a mom 
they have to mm-hmm. drink and get fucked. Sorry, I can't swear. Oh, <laughs> they absolutely can't can swear. swear. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if I could swear or not. Um, like the, they're they're seeing this message that their moms need something to cope with them. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's the most horrifying thing mm-hmm. about this whole situation is that this the generation of kids my like my own generation and younger and their kids are we're, they're all seeing this message and it's really sad yeah well and, and as somebody who my dad was an alcoholic growing up like I feel like kids already feel that pressure of like I'm drinking or they're drinking because of me or maybe I could do something different to get them to quit drinking. But as we discussed earlier, like it's really hard to kind of get somebody else to change the way that they're drinking and it really is a personal thing. So I like absolutely despise this messaging Um, and anytime I see it on social media or like memes or stuff like that, I'm just like, oh my God, like why are we still doing this? But then I also think about the monetization aspect of it and how much money is actually made and they're profiting off of moms and women and people who are hurting that need support no yeah and that's the sad part is that they're at at the very top of the pyramid are people that are profiting and taking advantage of women and you you know if you said this to any a random woman on the street they would look at you like you were nuts yeah because they don't see it it's so embedded in our culture that um we don't see the evil genius behind it and I'll tell you, I've done a bit of research and I'm not an expert in this area at all, but, um, you know, I've, I've always been fascinated. I, I grew up, um, not grew up, but I guess my, my first role in life was as a PR person. And so I, t- I took, you know, communications and, um, you know, I was really fascinated by this man named Edward Bernays, who's the father of spin. And he basically, his, one of his first PR campaigns was, uh, the big tobacco companies wanted women to start smoking more. And mm-hmm. he, they hired him to figure out how women could smoke more, how he could get women to smoke more. So he had all the women suffragettes in the Macy's per day parade or whatever in New York City smoking. And women weren't allowed to really smoke in public or, or it was like frowned upon for women to smoke in public. So you had all these women suffragettes marching in defiance of this ban on, or not ban, like, like we're going to smoke because the, the men smoke. How dare they tell us that we can't smoke? So this is called um, engineered consent. So women all of a sudden were like, hey, I want to smoke because men smoke. And the big tobacco engineered that with, um, you know, with Edward Bernays. And so little by little, the, the, um, the Hollywood and big, big, uh, big alcohol has worked with Hollywood to do the same thing, to make women believe that we're, it's our choice. It's engineered consent. It's evil. I, like, I, I, people are going to think I'm a, I'm, I'm a weirdo, like yelling, it's evil genius, but it really like. At the, at the end of the day, somebody profits off of everything in this world. Who is profiting off of this? And it's, it's always big tobacco, big, big alcohol and all the, all the companies that are making the swag, making the t-shirts, making the, um, mamosas is drives me crazy that the term mamosa, you know, endless bottomless mamosas, like somebody's made the, the restaurants making money off of these moms. Maybe not, but you know, it's that messaging again. 
Yeah. And also bottomless drinks is just dangerous in general. I don't know <laughs> who thinks that's a good idea. I've never had a good time when I've indulged into bottomless drinks. And I'll, well, I'll tell you, they don't, there are no bottomless drinks in Canada. <laughs> like that's not a thing. It really, there's what? very, I don't think I've ever been to a restaurant where it's like bottomless. Um, I think it's because there's really strict rules here um, in the nanny state, they call it, which I'm glad. I'm happy now that we live in the nanny state. <laughs> I, uh, I worked in a bar that served bottomless mimosas every Sunday, and I can say that our largest audience for Sunday brunch was moms that would come in with their husbands and their kids. Yep. And those were our bottomless mimosa customers every yep. Sunday. And can you imagine going home at, like, I, I've, I've done this, Haley, I'm sure you've done this. Maybe you've even done this. Um, you go home and you've had four mimosas and, or five or whatever, however many bottomless. And all of a sudden you start getting that hangover, mm-hmm. the headache, the crankiness, and you still have to parent and your kids bear the brunt of that. And that's the, you know, and the kids are watching mom drinking at brunch because she needs it. It's such a hard time. Like, you know. So I think that the, the victim at the end of all of this is going to be the kid. It's, it's the kids watching their, their moms drink and seeing the messaging, even if it's not on their, on their own mother, but they're seeing it out in the world that, you know, um, parenting requires alcohol. So I'm curious, now that we're talking about this, do you guys think that this mommy wine culture with these kids growing up, seeing their moms in this kind of thing, do you think that these kids are going to grow up and live the same lifestyle or do you think that these kids are going to see this and be like wait no that's not what I want to do and the reason I'm asking this is because I've heard of for example my dad my dad's dad was an alcoholic um and a big time tobacco smoker and my dad my dad drinks but not like a lot but he does he has always told me that the reason he doesn't smoke cigarettes is because he was he lived with his dad who was always smoking cigarettes. And in my mind, I'm like, that can so easily go both ways. Yeah. You just get used to that and think that's how life's supposed to be and so you do it yeah. too. Or you can be like, wait, that's like – we shouldn't be doing that. I'm going to grow up and I'm going to do the opposite. I'm curious your guys' thoughts on that. Haley, how did what did you do? Because you said your dad was an alcoholic. Yeah, well, up. I think if we continue to change the conversation around alcohol and why people are quitting drinking, I think that that's going to make the biggest impact because I know for me, like people always told me, be careful of drinking alcohol. You know, your dad is an alcoholic. And I know that that kind of thing mm-hmm. is genetic, but I also think that that is something that I would then compare myself to my dad. And I was like, well, I'm not an alcoholic. I agree with you, Sarah. I was more of like a gray area drinker. So I think it depends. I think we have to continue to change the conversation and change the narrative around why people are drinking. And so I think it's really important for people to continue to share that. And like, I love that you have your rethinking drinking page and like all of that. So I, I think it's just going to depend on whether we continue to change that conversation. I think that, I think there, there's two things. One, a lot of kids are going to rebel. Like my daughter has mentioned, um, and this is so horrifying, but it's like, I have to say it to keep it things real, right? Is she remembers how stinky my wine breath was at bedtime. 
And she's like, she, she didn't tell me that until after I was very open about, I need to stop drinking. I want to stop drinking. I'm going to stop drinking. And she was very open about like, oh, you used to put your wine glass down on my dollhouse. And there was a stain on my dollhouse that I saw every day from my wine glass. Cause there was no night table on the other side of her bed. And so I just put my wine. Why was I reading to her with a glass of wine at bedtime? Mm-hmm. Like I, I couldn't stay away from it for that long that I needed to have it. So she, I know she's, She's not going to drink, I think, partially because I don't anymore. And she's I'm setting a good example for her. But also she, I think, was disgusted by my behavior, to be honest. And so I think there's a lot of kids out there that were, like, completely were old enough to, are old enough to witness what their parents are doing or their moms are doing and, and will rebel. But I also think here, in, here in, in Canada, in Toronto specifically, there's a cannabis shop on every corner. And so I don't, I think it's going to be more about cannabis and less about drinking and not that that makes it any better it's still a substance that you know alters your mind but I don't think it's as dangerous necessarily as um as alcohol is so I think that the gen gen z and gen z's kids I think are going to be really finding different ways to you know be out of their minds I guess (laughs) to cope um and it won't be alcohol and even with them I've had a couple of non-alcoholic pop-up shops here in Toronto and you know I do I get the feedback that it's you know people come in and are like yeah I just want to grab some non-alcoholic beer because I really like to smoke weed but I don't want to drink but I still want to have a beer in my hand um you know and so I I think that a lot of the non-alcoholic drinks industry's growth is going to be around it's it's paralleling the growth of the cannabis industry that's a whole other conversation (laughs) yeah you know I actually heard something really interesting the other day about um like hard seltzers and I know that those have like skyrocketed but then also non-alcoholic drinks they're removing the alcohol from them but then they can utilize them in seltzers, which yep. I thought was interesting because I was like, oh, okay. So like the non-alcoholic drink market is almost like driving up the seltzer market. I just thought that that was really interesting. Yeah, that's exactly because what they do is they take out, um, they, they're, they're removing the ethanol from the, the, from the product. And it just, you, you basically have these big buckets of alcohol. And so the, the breweries who are removing it from beer, there's, there's different ways to make non-alcoholic beer. And one of them is to remove the alcohol. One of them is to brew it traditionally and control the fermentation. But when you remove the alcohol, these breweries are then selling off that hundred hundred proof, like ethanol <laughs> to white claw or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, then they're putting it in, in seltzers and stuff. And yeah, it's that whole, that whole thing is also about no sugar. So I've got, I've had women come into the pop-up shop and say, oh my God, this like, I've, you know, I've been tasting like a nice rosé or something. And they look at the sugar and they're like, oh, I can't, I can't drink this four grams of sugar per glass. And I'm like, you're, they're like, I think I'm going to stick with my regular rosé. Okay. (laughs) I think the sugar is less harmful than the alcohol, but I don't, you know, I won't argue with somebody because, you know, they're a customer, but, um, again, I'm not trying to save, I'm not trying to save everybody that comes through the door. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it doesn't, I think that there's a lot of messaging around low sugar and, you know, have the, have these, these, these seltzers because they're, they're good for you. There's less calories, low sugar, but they're normalizing the idea that the alcohol is the healthy part of it. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. I see people talk about like, Oh, drink tequila because it has less calories. And I'm like, (laughs) I don't know. Just tequila was like my blackout drink. So me too. I thought the whole, I thought the whole hard seltzer creation in itself 
was mind-blowing and the fact that they made them at the beginning. I don't think they care as much now maybe, but at the beginning, I know they made them to look like regular seltzer waters. Like they tried to yeah. make it very not obvious yeah. that they were alcoholic that. products. And I can't tell you how many people I knew that would like grab a pack of seltzers thinking that it was actually non-alcoholic and then ending up being alcoholic. They'd get like carded at the register and they're like, wait, I thought this was like a new brand of like seltzer water. It like looked cool. And they're like, no, there's alcohol in that. And they're like, oh crap. Like I've seen people at gas stations accidentally grab a white claw and think that it's just like an energy drink or something. Because it's right next to the energy drinks. And that's what is so scary to me is how they're trying to like, oh, you know, this is this is better for you. You know, you should have this since they're trying to like hide yeah. it with the regular yeah. seltzers rather with the alcohol. But then there's also the part of like, I, I feel like just seltzer waters, flavored seltzer waters, non-alcoholic ones in themselves have also like had this huge like boom. And like, I've seen a thousand yeah. new brands of non-alcoholic yeah. ones, yeah. but it's also funny how I can't tell you how much advertising I see of a non-alcoholic seltzer water mixed with vodka or like mixed with tequila and I'm like wait a second how is like this is confusing marketing it's really confusing and there's you know the the larger the consumer economy gets the more marketers get hired to sit at those boardroom tables and 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 determine what those nuances in their product are and how they're going to stand out on a shelf how they're going to blend into the shelf or how are they going to stand out um, you know, and that's, it's scary. It's, it's really scary how uh, even the amount of alcoholic products coming out on a daily basis is, is crazy. Like how many ways can you make whiskey? Mm-hmm. How many? Well, and so many celebrities like have alcohol brands. And I always just think about the impact of that. Like you're drinking something just because it has a familiar face on it. But I think it also just goes to show like how much money is in people drinking so celebrities are smart they do and they have smart teams who are telling them what to to make or invest in for sure agreed um but on that note Katy perry has a non-alcoholic drink i can't remember what it's called Does like, she? i didn't know this it's like day yeah. soy or something like that. oh yeah just what this yes <laughs> something very cool and i love the, the Haley says day soy day soy <laughs> I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, So, and then, um, uh, okay, let me think about this now. And then I always forget her name. One of the Hadid sisters is um, Bella Hadid. Bella's partner in Kin Euphorics, which is huge in the States. So I think that, like, little by little, celebs are, you know, going to start investing and they're seeing the non alcoholic market take it off. And, And so, you know, it'll be like two can play at this game you know you've got ryan reynolds and his aviator but now you're, you're gonna have you know i don't know i'm thinking I'm, I'm trying to think of who could who could make a non-alcoholic gin but there will be somebody that comes along a celeb and makes a non-alcoholic gin in a cool bottle and everybody's gonna go and buy it and those are the things that are going to start turning the tables and and helping to contribute to the conversation that we've all started and um uh, Hayden Pentier today announced her, um, I don't know if it was today, but recently announced that, um, she's had, had an, uh, addiction issues and 
Yeah, and the more more celebrities that come forward and say, you know, I'm I'm str- I was struggling. I'm st- you know, and I'm I'm stopping. I want to be sober. It will go hand in hand with the the conversation as well, and start helping helping normalize talking about it. And that's one thing moms don't do. Back to mommy wine culture, I always say, moms keep their wine problems hidden behind dusty velvet curtains. It's like <laughs> nobody wants to say to anybody else at the party. I'm not feeling great about how much I drink. We're okay with talking about our, you know, possible hormone imbalances, our poops, our, you know, hair loss or whatever. Like, cause I'm, yeah. yeah, our periods, like I'm turning, I'm in my forties. And so now everybody's worried about losing hair and getting, you know, getting the perimenopause belly. Um, that's a long way away for me, but like, it's, it's, we're all like, we all get together and we're all so comfortable talking about like all the things in our body, but I have never been anywhere in my in with any of my mom friends where anybody has ever felt brave enough to be like you know what I'm I don't really feel like drinking I'm I'm not happy like I'm I'm drinking too much and I'm scared of how much I'm drinking never until I started saying it on social media and even in my own group of, like network um, people really pushed back and were like you're being too extreme Sarah like stop talking like this I can't yeah. say out of my personal experience the people that I know in my life that have chosen to speak about wanting to live an alcohol free lifestyle are all under the age of 40. I don't think I know anybody in my personal life above the age of 40 that's voluntarily. (laughs) My mom, she's never outright said she wants to live an alcohol free lifestyle, but my mom turns down drinks like a champ at parties And she, my entire family is very much partiers and drinkers and they get together. That's what they want to do. They want to have tequila shots. They want to do all the things. (laughs) My mom turns it down because she has the same health issues as me. It makes her feel extra terrible. So she's like, nope, not even worth it to me. So she says no. But every time she says no to a drink, it is like the end of the world to my family members. And they give her such a hard time for it. And she's like always mentioned to me how thankful she is that like I don't indulge like the rest of my family because now her and I are like, you know, we can team up together and both deny drinks at family gatherings now. <laughs> we don't have to feel bad because we can, you know, vent to each other about how my family's a bunch of assholes about it. So. Well, your mom could just bring some great like free spirits tequila or one of the new liars. Oh, yeah, she, you know, I mean, she always has like, you know, her fancy seltzer waters nice, and like, nice. makes herself little mocktails and stuff. And so we yeah. do that together now and it's so fun. fun. But I'm like, I think you're the only person I know of the older generation that is actually doesn't drink at like every opportunity they yeah. get for a social or yeah. family gathering. My it's mom really like started. Sorry, well, Haley. no, my mom has just kind of started to shift her like drinking habits too. She'll tell people like, "I don't drink anymore," which makes me very proud of her. <gasps> Love sure. that! I didn't know that, Haley. Oh, yeah. oh good. That's amazing. Yeah. My parents were not big drinkers. Um, I I did not pick it up from my parents. I picked it up from like friends, entertainment, that kind of thing. Like my parents. Um, were uh, I'll tell you why my my mom's father died from alcohol abuse when she was 13 so um you know she grew up um you know very against drinking so you can imagine when I was a teenager how angry that made me like how uncool my mom was that she you know we couldn't have any alcohol in the house so it was a bit of a rebellion it was a bit of a, a probably a lot of a rebellion 
Um, also because everybody else was doing it in high school, right? And I grew up in rural Ontario where everybody drank Molson Canadian. That's what you drank. If you didn't drink Molson Canadian, there was something wrong with you. <laughs> Um, and I don't even like beer, but you drink it cause it's what everybody drinks. And, um, so there was a lot of rebellion happening there, but yeah, my, um, it wasn't until I was older and I saw my dad have a beer. I was in my twenties and I was like, what? Like it was really uncomfortable to watch yeah. my dad have a pint in a restaurant and even have a, a beer with him made him uncomfortable that I was having a beer with him and I was uncomfortable because I was having a beer and he was uncomfortable, you know, and my mom every once in a while, she'll drink like, um, like a, a weird old lady drink it's like vermouth and orange juice and <laughs> club soda like it's good it's good but it's like it is a weird old lady drink the way she makes it and but it's not often right and so the, that to me is odd still that my parents like buy alcohol like that they go to the lcbo or the liquor store here and, and get get something to drink because they did i didn't grow up with that um but it wasn't until i stopped drinking and i started reading more about um about it, it was the awakening. Oh my God. My mom is an adult child of an alcoholic. Like it, it hit me and I had to email my, my uncle too and say, I'm so sorry. Like I, I never realized like the, 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 the shoe finally dropped and I was mm -hmm. like, Oh my God, like all the layers of stuff. And I, you know, my mom and I don't always get along, but it's um, definitely given me a new perspective on some of her behaviors, like the controlling her controlling nature and the things that um, I hated when I was growing up. Now I understand it came from that environment, right? So it was super interesting. Yeah, very much. Um, now that we've been talking about like alcoholic drinks, I'm actually really curious. We want to know what your favorite non-alcoholic drink is. So I really love amaretto sours. <laughs> and so I have there's a brand called Liars. I think I mentioned it earlier. Um, they make an amaretto and it's like, it tastes like Di Sirono. It's like so good. Oh, wow. And I just, I make an amaretto sour with it or I just drink it on the rocks. Like at Christmas time, I mixed it with, oh, I, I with almond milk. That was at Christmas. That's more of like a holiday drink. Um, and then just recently I created, I created my own signature drink and I was so proud. Like I have a couple signature drinks, but this one I was so proud of and it's really easy I was so tired of everybody talking about Aperol spritzes and how you can make an Aperol spritz non-alcoholic like that's everybody's like oh look you can make a non uh, like a non-alcoholic Aperol spritz and I was like there's got to be something else you can do with the the bitter so the Aperol the the non-alcoholic Aperol lots of different brands make it not all of them do it well but there's some that are great and I mixed it with um I wish I had the recipe here. It's on my website, somegoodcleanfun.com, but it's, um, I called it, I, I dubbed it the official non-alcoholic drink of the summer. I mixed it with non-alcoholic rosé wine. So it's like, so it's like a, a an Aperol, like a non-alcoholic Aperol and rosé wine, a couple of strawberries. Oh yeah. You have to muddle uh, like just two strawberries, just like gently use your sp a spoon or something and kind of muddle them in the bottom. And then, um, and then I think I added in a little bit of club soda. Anyway, it was such a good drink. I'm like, boom, this like, this is my new drink. This is my new drink. So it's like an Aperol, non-alcoholic Aperol base, rosé wine, a little bit of strawberry, club soda. And uh, I think there's might be a little squeeze of lemon in it. Maybe I can't remember. Um, but that is, that's what I love now. It's like things that like bring out different tastes that are refreshing and don't necessarily like 
taste exactly like the real thing, but the rosé, rosés are one of the highlights actually of the non-alcoholic wine world. Rosés are being done really well. And so adding a rosé wine with the Aperol, the, it's just it, the flavors of the bitter orange and some strawberry. Oh my God. So good. We're going to yeah, have I was- to pull that recipe off your website and yeah. share it on the page when we share the podcast episode. Yes, I'll yeah. send you the link. What's the non-alcoholic rosé that you use? So there's Canadian can Canadians don't have access to the same things as as Americans do. So I have two. One of them is available in the U.S. It's called this is to me the top rosé probably in the world. Um, it's by a winery in Germany called Leitz L E I T Z. Eins Y Zero is sort of the 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 brand branding on it, and they make a rosé that is so incredible. People have said to me when they have been tasting it at, at the pop up. Um, oh my God, is, are you sure this doesn't have alcohol in it? Are you sure it doesn't have alcohol? It's just such a good wine. You don't, it's not that there's anything missing from it or it's not, you don't even recognize that there's no alcohol in it because it's that good. The, the actual um, product and the flavors and the, and all the, the, the things that go together in a wine. So that is my favorite non-alcoholic rosé, Lights Eins Y Zero. I can email that to you afterwards too. So you have the spelling of it. The other one that I really love um, is not available in the U.S. It's uh, made in Australia and it's shipped to Canada in, and bottled in Montreal. And it's called Smoky Bay Rosé. Um, and it is really good. I just like the <laughs> name of that one, Smoky Bay Rosé. Smoky like, Bay, yeah. It's, <laughs> that's it's cool. fun. It sounds like a nice, a good Australian wine, right? Yeah. It, I mean, I wouldn't know it was non-alcoholic yeah. by that name. Makes me think it's like whiskey infused or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I just remembered actually uh, one of the ones, I haven't tried this yet because it's not available in Canada and I'm blanking on her name, but one of the housewives, um, the I think it's New Jersey or New York, one of the housewives, Leanne, is there a, a woman named Leanne? I, I'm not I, familiar with the housewife. I'm not either. She's on the, she's on, it's Roni. Yeah, it's, it's Roni. It's Real Housewives of, of New York. She um, was very open in, in some of the seasons about her struggle with alcohol and she has made a non-alcoholic rosé. So I'm going to look that up for you and you guys can link that too. Yes. And apparently it's really, really good. And so that's another celebrity who's doing, you know, great things in the non-alcoholic space. And um, people have, have said that it's um, an amazing rosé. So um girls rosé all day honestly like you can have rosé all day there's sugar in it though so like if you don't want sugar you can't drink it I do want to say though that like I so I'm not completely alcohol free um and I do struggle with the wine thing because I see that all the time you know I watch tv and well I don't even so I don't even drink wine I actually don't drink wine but I do go through the I'm watching TV and there's this group of women and they're all drinking wine and I'm like well that sounds nice and then I'm like but I don't even really want to do that because I don't drink (laughs) wine so like why am I having this thought even going through my head I don't even like wine but just seeing it on TV makes me feel like I should be doing it too and that drives me crazy Um, but I do like the non-alcoholic wines because it's not really the taste of wine that I never liked. It's just, it always made me feel terrible. And that's why it was always my least favorite alcohol. So I'm like, I am a big fan of the non-alcoholic wines. I like wine glasses. I think they're fun. I will pour seltzer in a white, in a wine glass and like hold it. And it, it feels fun. I I don't know. I'm really a fan of the wines. 
there's a group, there's a really great Facebook group. I don't know who runs it. Like whoever runs it as a hero. It's called Non-Alcoholic Wine Reviews or something like that. Non-Alcoholic Wines. It's got like 90,000 people in it. Oh my gosh, that's so smart. Or something. And like, I've posted in there a few times, um, but people go through and they post what they're drinking. They post if it's their favorite. And I'll tell you right now, the one thing I've learned about non-alcoholic wines is that everybody has their own taste buds and spectrum of what tastes good. True. Um, there's, there's certain brands like um, Frey is one of them, F-R-E, and there people love that brand, but I don't like it. And that's just my own personal taste bud. But people go gangbusters over this. They love it. Like when it's on sale at Total Wine, the shelf's emptied out. That's one of the <laughs> I, only ones I see around us in the U.S. That's like one of the main ones I think that we have. I love their non-alcoholic champagne. I will say, definitely a fan. <laughs> but I'm not like a wine drinker. Yeah, I have had. I've had the sparkling, the sparkling one. It's not bad. It's not bad. But the flat, the still wines, I don't like. Um, and I think that's people always ask, you know, what's your favorite? So I try and give a couple and I do this for a living now. So day in, day out, I, you should see, like, I wish I could show the listeners my house. My, you know, my family just is like overwhelmed by boxes of products because it gets sent to me or I buy it or whatever. And I've got to taste it. And, um, you know, there's lots and lots and lots of product out there. I've tried it all, but I have my own favorites and everybody needs to, if you want to try non-alcoholic wine, don't give up just because you have one bad bottle because there is a lot of really, really terrible non-alcoholic wine out there. <laughs> do your research, go to somegoodcleanfun.com. I do wine reviews every two weeks and like uh, I tr- sometimes, uh, sometimes once a week, but every, every other week for sure I do a wine review and I will be honest about, you know, whether I like something or not and what is good about, I don't know. I never say like this bottle is terrible unless it's really, really bad. <laughs> But I will be very clear about, you know, there's a little bit, this is a little bit too tropical leaf. The, the wine review I did today, actually, um, I think it's being posted tomorrow. Um, it was, it tasted a little bit too much like pineapple. And I was like, mm. I, I liked, I thought it would be a great wine to go with a ham and pineapple, like a Hawaiian pizza or like some spicy Asian food, but it wasn't necessarily my favorite, you know, but mm. when I do say something is my favorite, it's a really good one <laughs> generally in my book anyway. So try and try again. Like if you're, you know, if you are, uh, and I, I just want to say too about the watching women on TV and their wine, you're not really wanting the wine. Your mind wants the connection with your friends. Mm, that makes sense. And so that's like when I talk to people about like reframing what you're seeing on TV and when it has alcohol in the storyline, I ask people, is it integral to the storyline? Like, does that dad need to have a Bud Light in his hand? (laughs) Is it integral or is it just product placement? Um, And then I also say like, if you are thinking about being in that scene, what is making you happy? It's the, it's the connection with your friends and your peers. Right. And so, um, so sorry, I got off track there, but what I was going to say is if you are going to a party and you don't, maybe you don't want to drink and you want to try and bring, you know, bring an alcohol, non-alcoholic wine with you, don't give up. Even if it's a bad bottle, do your research and find one that you like, because once you do, you'll be like, yeah, great. This is my, this is my daily wine. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. Um, so I know you mentioned your website, somegoodcleanfun.com. Do you want to let our listeners know where else they can find you, where they can connect with you, um, and all of that good stuff? Yeah. So I am on Instagram at somegoodcleanfun, and you can also follow at rethinkingdrinking on Instagram. And so there's slightly different content on both of those channels. 
Um, and then on Facebook, you can find me at uh, follow the Some Good Clean Fun page on Facebook. And we're slowly starting to do more recipes on Pinterest. So if there's any Pinterest fans out there, <laughs> we're slowly starting to think about like how we can um, really do recipes on Pinterest. Oh my gosh, I would totally follow you on Pinterest for that. So you definitely should. Yes, good. So some good clean fun on Pinterest, and um, there's a little, there's a few, there's a little, a few recipes there now. So stay tuned. <laughs> Perfect. Love well, it. Well, is there anything else that you want to add before we wrap this up? No, I think we've covered a lot, and thank you both for giving me the opportunity to chat about this. I think it's a really important topic, and um, you know that we touched on a lot of different things, and um, you know I just. I always say at the end of these these sort of interviews, like, you know, if, if you're out there listening to this and you're struggling, do not be afraid to reach out to A Thousand Hours Dry or East Coast Sober Squad or any of the like support, like go on Instagram, uh, use the hashtag Sober Curious, use the hashtag, you know, Sober Lifestyle or, you know, reach out to people in your in your network that you know are not drinking and um don't be afraid because you have to like it's it, you have to take the first step but it takes a community really so find your community find your people and um, don't be afraid to um to do the work yeah i definitely second that so thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode we appreciate your support and we'll catch you guys next time <laughs>